everyone. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. My name is not Jonathan Ellsworth, nor is it Kara Williard, nor is it Kristen Sinat. My name is Luke Coppa. I'm the managing editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, I'm joined by Justin Bob, Kara Williard, Dylan Wood, and Kristen Sinat to discuss some of the standout gear we were able to test at last week's Blister Summit, from skis to snowboards and even some snowblade talk at the end. Then about halfway through, Jonathan interrupts us and adds his thoughts on a couple of the skis he got on too. And with well over 30 brands at the summit this year, there was a lot of gear to test. So this is just the beginning of our coverage of Blister Summit 2023. But before we get right into all of that, this episode of Gear 30 is presented by our Blister recommended shop, Powder 7, based out of Golden, Colorado. They carry more than 100 brands of skis, bindings, boots, clothing, touring gear, accessories, and much more, in addition to full boot fitting and ski tech services. On top of that, they offer an incredible ski trade-in program that allows you to trade in your skis to save money on new gear, as well as a wide selection of used demo skis, which are an extremely good option for those looking to get a solid setup at well below retail price. I've had countless friends who are just getting into skiing or looking into upgrading their ski quiver, and Powder 7 is always my first recommendation. Their demo setups are a phenomenal bargain, and their website makes it extremely easy to sort through all their extensive inventory to find the right new or used setup for you. You can shop their wide selection in their store in Golden or at powder7.com. With that, let's get right into our conversation. All right. Well, I am here with Kara Williard, Dylan Wood, Kristen Sinat, and Justin Bob. And I, I know we've heard from Justin in the intro to podcast before, but I don't know. This might be the first full participation on Gear 30. Uh, but today we're going to talk about some of the most notable gear we got on at Blister Summit 2023. There was a lot of it. Uh, there were well over 30 brands who brought a whole bunch of skis, snowboards, ski boots, snowboard bindings, apparel, avalanche gear. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to cover. And if you haven't already, check out our site for a more Sparks Notes version uh, where we recap all the new stuff from each brand. But today we just wanted to go over some of the stuff that we personally tested. And I think to start, I'll just kick it off to Kara. All right. Well, Blister Summit 2023 was a blast. I think we're all somewhat recovered um, and we've continued to enjoy the soft snow throughout the week. So that has been amazing. Um, I think for me, the thing I was most keen on testing during the summit was a boa boot. And thankfully, Fisher set me up so that I've been able to test a boa boot directly against the buckle version. So that is the RC4 MV105, the women's version. And uh, my first couple days, I was in the BOA version. And right away, I was pretty impressed. Um, first note being that it doesn't necessarily feel like an MV boot to me. And all that said, I have been using the BOA mechanism quite a bit to kind of cinch down the lower boot. But I'm doing so in a way that really like disperses pressure super evenly. So I feel like if I was in an MV boot trying to take up volume with the buckles, it would definitely be causing fit issues. But with the BOA, I've found it to be pretty nice in that it's just really evenly dispersed pressure along the lower boot. Aside from that, I've also come to find that I've preferred the BOA version in almost every way. So it'll be interesting. I've uh, done a lot of back and forth testing. I think my next step is going to be to test a buckle version on one foot and the BOA version on the other. Um, but there's also a couple other differences among the two boots. So one being that the plastic composition is different among both boots. And so there is some other variables that I'm trying to factor in when I'm A-B testing. But um, all around, first bow experience has been pretty intriguing. And I will say from a fit perspective, I kind of am starting to get the BOA hype. Gotcha. Yeah, there was a, a lot of BOA talk and BOA testing at the summit this year. Uh, keep an eye on our YouTube channel for our latest uh, ski boot design panel where 
we have several different folks talking about boa and what they think about it but also just ski boot design in general uh dylan how about you yeah real quick i just want to ask kara kara you were the first blister reviewer to pop off a boa knob on a boa boot can you tell us like what happened and how it ended up yeah, this is true. Thanks, Dylan. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've somehow fallen into the role of durability testing. This like typically isn't my given role. I don't like don't like breaking things. I don't like crashing any of that. But uh, there's been some in- incidences lately. Uh, the first like two runs on the boa boot, I was coming into a pretty big like sweeping turn across a mogul, and I just saw this stump sticking right out directly pointed at where the boa was and i was like i'm gonna hit this pretty full speed we're about to really test what happens and uh the boa popped off of its plate like it's supposed to and i was able just to kind of rotate it back onto the plate took a little bit of messing with but i think all in all it was a pretty uh pretty good test of its durability and that it basically functioned in the way it was supposed to um, just knowing how to kind of get it back onto the plate is going to be the big- biggest variable for people. But I was pretty impressed with both its durability and the fact that it did kind of what it was meant to do. Yeah, for someone who does not crash very often, Kara has been been sacrificing it all to <laughs> test the durability of a lot of gear recently. Hopefully, you don't need to do that anymore in the future. Yeah, you guys, you're you're welcome, but I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your service. Dylan, how about you in terms of skis? Yeah, one of the biggest standouts of the Blister Summit for me was the new Moment Countach 110. And I skied that in the 188. Uh, it was pretty immediately intuitive right off the bat and just a ski I immediately clicked with. It was really reminiscent of some of my all-time favorite like competition style skis. I'm thinking about the Sego Comp 110 and the ON3P Woodsman 108 here. Skis that are, you know, stable down the fall line. You can charge with them. They're pretty damp, but when you need to throw them sideways in a pinch, it's also pretty easy to do that. I'm not a super directional skier. I like a ski that is at least somewhat loose. So I really appreciate a mix of, uh, stability and maneuverability in my more directional skis that I would pick if I were doing a free ride competition again. Um, so I was definitely true of the Countach 110. I was impressed by its float and powder too. Definitely scored some, some untracked pow and third bowl, um, on Thursday, which was really awesome. And I think that's just an awesome ski overall. And we have one in for long-term testing that I'm really excited to get some more time on. Yeah, yeah. I also skied. I skied the 182 actually of that, and um, Moment sent over their catalog uh, the week after the summit. And if their stated numbers are accurate, I had in our in my flash review, I had guessed it weighed somewhere around 2100. Apparently, it's closer to 1900 for that length, and so it skis quite well for its weight. The 188 is substantially heavier. Uh, but yeah, I think that my, my main takeaway with that ski was that you, Dylan, uh, Jonathan, David Golay, our bike editor, and I all skied it and all found it very, very intuitive, which is not often the case because we have pretty disparate uh, skiing styles. But I was a big fan of that ski and I very much look forward to spending more time on the 188 in the future. Um, Kristen, how about you? So I don't know. I don't have a huge standout um, from the summit. Not like I think the first year I was just all about the Wagner, um, what they're now calling the summit or factory 106. I didn't find that ski for myself. I got on a number of great skis and I, I started off with a plan, kind of like a hit list of what I wanted, but then I got distracted by new shiny things that I wasn't sure what it was. And I'd hop on those instead or powder arrived and I was like, I don't even know what to do now. So I, my game plan kind of went out the window starting day one and I had zero memory for anything. Like I I probably didn't even remember your guys' names half the time. I apologize. So one ski I I did like, and I'd like to get more time on it. It was uh, the first day of the summit, which was pretty chalky snow. And I, if you 
I'm a pretty big fan of like that 88 to 93 way ski. So I got on a Stokely, uh, first time I ever skied a Stokely and I got on the Nella 88. Uh, and that was in the, uh, 168. I, that was a great ski. I would love to spend more time on it and AB it with some of my other 88s. Um, super responsive, felt pretty intuitive. Um, yeah, just did, did everything I asked and yeah, I, I, Again, would like more time on it, but that's all I have to say for it now. Yeah, I think especially when we're at the summit, we're we've got a lot going through our heads and intuitive, intuitive, easy to get along with skis tend to tend to be usually my favorite during the yeah. summit for that reason, because you can just turn off your brain. Yeah, I needed a lot of that. Yeah. Um, J Bob, how about the snowboard side of things? Any standouts there for you? Uh, definitely some standouts. I got on four snowboards for the entirety of the summit and the biggest standout that I enjoyed the most, which I actually held onto for two days, was a snowboard from Rosignol and is called the Juggernaut and I was on it in a 159. It's not a directional twin, it's a true twin and I was riding it a little bit set back, but it's got everything I want in a snowboard. It's full camber and really stiff. Um, with that, it it's pretty playful, but it's able to scrub speed with good precision. And that one was super fun. I'd, I'd try to get on that again for sure. Um, another standout was the Bel Air from Wonder Alpine. And first I was a little skeptical when I was doing the hand flex test. It felt exceptionally soft to me, which I usually try to avoid soft snowboards. Um, I like that company jumped on it, gave it a go, and I was actually pretty surprised at how it rode. It did not ride like a soft board, so it felt a lot more stiff, a good big nose to keep float up front, and again, Poppy, it had an incredibly stiff tail, so that one was kind of a surprise. Those were the two standout boards. I really wanted to get on some split boards, but we had a bit of a mishap with the proper pucks to adapt the bindings to all the snowboards, so... I was on a volley board that I brought up, not from the summit, but that was good to tour on. There'll be a full review of that one coming out here pretty soon. But yeah, I was excited to see snowboards there. There were three companies that had them and I was surprised to see how many snowboarders there were there as well. So I thought it was a pretty good turnout. And yeah, I'm excited for next year. I think we'll have, we'll have a lot more next time. But um, yeah, as a testament to... Just how comfortable felt J Bob felt on that Rosinol board. I think in the uh, post on our site for this episode, we'll try and embed the video of him uh, throwing a perfect wildcat on it. <laughs> we happened to run up on a, a group of the local free ride team, and their coach Montana was just uh, iPhone filming the kids hitting this one hit, and J Bob stepped up, perfect backflip, and all the kids came down afterwards. Was like that was so cool. That was one of my favorite moments of the summit. <laughs> Mine too. On my side of things, one of the, I think it was the very first or maybe second ski I got on was the new Icelandic Shaman 99. They're bringing back the Shaman for 2324, um, modernizing it a bit. It doesn't look quite as wild as it used to. It doesn't have the super angular shovel, but the gist of it, really wide shovel, narrow waist, narrow tail. And Ironically, it wasn't the most intuitive ski. Like it took me more runs to get used to than most of the other stuff I skied. But the upside was that it just felt so different that it stood out to me. Um, it reminded me a lot of the season neck or uh, season forma, which has a somewhat similar shape in that it feels like there's a distinct pivot point from the front of the ski. And so like when you're skiing trees and bumps, you push the shovel into it and then the tails just swing around it um, like there is a pivot point there. And once I figured that out, it became really fun. It's definitely not like and they're very uh, honest about it in there. Like when they're talking about it, it's not it's not supposed to be the decent at everything, uh, not great at anything ski like it's supposed to be a different ride. And I think for certain people, it will be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to getting on one in like bluebird conditions when I can really carve it because I think it will be a really good carver. But I was skiing it in like whiteout storm conditions. Um, but Dylan, did you also ski that ski? Yeah, I got on the Shaman 99 as well. I, 
I was, uh, I was taking, taking some folks out on some groomers and I just thought it would be a, a great ski. And for context, it was a pretty wide out day, like you mentioned, and it had been snowing pretty hard. So grooming wasn't really, uh, wasn't really up to, up to par there. So it was, I was basically just skiing groomers with a bunch of pushed around piles of snow on it. And I think it was an awesome ski for that. It was easy and fun to carve tight, hard turns on and didn't really need to worry about like all the little piles of pushed around pal on, on the groomers. Cause it kind of just blasted right through it and took it in some bumps too. And yeah, I agree that it's, yeah, the, the shovel definitely feels like the, uh, you know, center of rotation as you're, as you're pivoting turns. And it's definitely a ski that, you know, wants you to pick your tails up and kind of, kind of move those around. Um, but yeah, overall super interesting ski to me, it kind of felt like a more versatile take on the line blade almost. Um, I'd be super curious to see what, what the 110 feels like too. Um, I saw someone today on the, on a earlier version of the original or one of the earlier shamans, shaman 110s. And I was like, yeah, that is a weird looking ski. <laughs> so, yeah. I wouldn't label it as like that, like new category of fun carvers, especially cause it's, it's a 99 and a 110 underfoot. Um, but it's got like some of that in it, but definitely more of like a all mountain orientation um so yeah curious to spend more time on those i haven't skied this ski um, at least in a comparable length but would you say it's comparable to the line sakana i yeah maybe like a drastically heavier sakana like i unfortunately i haven't skied the pescado but um yeah i think the the sakana is feels like it has a tighter radius the the shaman skis have fairly tight radii but i think in like a a 180 they're at like 17 or 18 so not wildly so so yeah i think if you added a lot of weight to the sakana and gave it a bit more tip rocker um and a bit more tail taper that's kind of the shaman 99 Um, so i think anyone who's kind of drawn to those different shapes because they want something different than just your average all mountain ski that shaman series is definitely worth a look yeah it i think it's maybe a good thing that we can't really compare it directly to an existing ski because it feels like icelandic did you know truly come out with a ski that's different in its own right and not just you know a copy of of an already existing category so yeah very interesting ski yeah uh kara you talked us through some new boots how about the uh skis you got on yeah, I think there are several interesting ones. Um, one of the first ones I grabbed, I think it was day two uh, by the time I got out and I knew conditions were going to be a bit variable. And so I actually kind of wanted to take out the renowned Citadel 106 um, for two reasons. One being I knew I knew it was a really lightweight ski. And so I kind of wanted to test that on some variable conditions. And also when we're talking about renowned vibe stop, I think it's really interesting to test something like that in conditions that aren't going to be consistent turn to turn. So you might have a soft turn and then your next turn might be totally firm and uh, a little bit icy. And so I ended up taking out the 178 Citadel 106. And while I did end up finding like it was a pretty lightweight ski for some like the chop and variable conditions I was skiing, I was pretty impressed with its ability to like feel pretty smooth and, um, pretty predictable across these variable conditions. And so, yeah, I mean, I think ideally I'd be skiing that ski like in the backcountry on some really great pow, but it was also really interesting to be able to take it into resort and kind of push its limits and ski it in a variety of terrain and conditions. And yeah, I think I was pretty impressed with its ability to kind of maintain a relative smoothness despite like how unsmooth the conditions felt when I was on it. Yeah, I'd say the the Citadel is especially uh, impressive in that regard in terms of how little it weighs and how smooth it can feel. Um, and it's, it's always interesting for me to touch base with like attendees at the summit who is their first time trying a renowned ski because they do feel genuinely different. And it's interesting to get their take on on, well, I guess their take on how they feel. Um, Dylan, we so we've reviewed the Citadel 106 before, but Dylan, how about some 
uh, brand new for 23, 24 skis that you got on. Yeah, I got on the new vocal revolt 114, and I, I was between the 184 and the 191 of that ski. I wasn't quite sure where to go. Um, and I opted for the 191 and it's a lot of ski. It, you know, has revolt in its name, but it feels pretty different than the rest of the lineup. It has a relatively flat tail. It has some tail rocker, but it does not have a twin tail. The mount point, I believe, is somewhere around minus seven. And it's definitely a more directional ski than the rest of the revolt line. But it does feel looser and more forgiving than something like the Katana 108. Um, Overall, that was a ski that just felt best pointed down the fall line. It took me a while to to kind of trust it to just kind of, you know, take care of me. But it, it's a pretty burly ski for sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's like the most plush ski I've got on. Um, it doesn't have like super awesome suspension uh, at lower speeds, but that feels like a ski that comes alive going real fast, going down the fall line. Um, yeah, make makes sense as like a dedicated free ride ski in vocals lineup, different from something like the Katana. Um, so interested to spend more time on that ski. Uh, there was there was some some differing takes among everyone here at Blister. Like I know Paul loved it. Uh, Jonathan wasn't a huge fan of it. So yeah, this is definitely a ski that I think we're gonna need some more time on to really flush out what's going on there. But yeah, overall, that's Charger for sure. Don't let the Revolt name fool you. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting that they put it in the Revolt uh, family because they like back in the day they had the like I mean they have a long history of directional POW free ride skis, but the Confession is kind of like the last one they had in their lineup, and that's been gone for a few years now. But the Revolt One Fourteen seems quite different than the confession um it seems kind of like a mix of a directional free ride and uh i wouldn't say freestyle but more progressive free ride ski which also is kind of the description of the moment kuntash 110 how would you compare those two i know you ski different lengths but yeah the kuntash i found to be notably quicker and just overall easier to ski i'd say the, the Revolt definitely has the edge there on high speed stability and composure through chop. But overall, I think the, the Countach was just easier to throw sideways. I felt that its tails were a little more forgiving too if you got a little bit off balance. Um, yeah, I'd say pretty similar skis. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best comparison out there. I can't really think of an awesome comparison to the Revolt 114. Um, so we'll have to work on that, but yeah, I'd, I'd say the revolt is definitely a couple notches above when it comes to stability and how demanding it is. Got it. Kristen, any other either skis or just products you want to touch on? Well, um, I'm curious if anybody got on the majesty havoc 100 I TI. I, Cause I, yeah. you did. Okay. So I, I grabbed that one, um, in a 176. And not not something I would generally favor for a personal ski, but I thought it was a good ski in other aspects. It felt a lot like the old Vocal Secret 102 to me. Felt um, To me, at least, it felt pretty stiff. And I don't know if that's because it was the 176 length was a little too much for me. It felt good on groomers, felt fairly damp, but curious what... Yeah, if you guys have thoughts on that one. Yeah, my I think that was the very first ski I got on when it was kind of like low vis but it hadn't quite snowed yet so mostly skiing like chalky moguls next to trees so we could see and my takeaway is that it felt quite quick but it was i like the flex pattern in terms of it it was strong enough to make me want to push it pretty hard but just forgiving enough to let me do so without just immediately kicking my ass so i to me it it, it inspired a very dynamic kind of hot doggy style um which led to a lot of very close calls um but i also yeah i I feel like it's a ski i need to spend more time on um because i've skied the wider havocs and they're fairly 
I wouldn't say light for their size, especially the TI ones, more like average. But the the 100 felt lighter to me than the wider ones. And I think I skied it in a, I want to say it's a 183. Um, so fairly standard for that sort of ski for me. But yeah, my, my main takeaway is that it felt lively, but strong and pretty quick. Um, and I'm curious, like Kristen, if you got on it in a, uh, like a 170 ish, what you'd think. Yeah. I, I think I'd get along with it a lot better in that length. Um, cause to me, it just felt a little overwhelming in the 176. And there were a couple skis that I wanted to go back and try different lengths, but then again, I just got distracted by another brand and grabbed another ski. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff to try. And especially for, for me, Kristen and Kara, we were, we're doing a bit less skiing this year than, than last year, just cause we were doing a whole bunch of other stuff during it. But, um, I think I talked to, I talked to someone who had skied nine, nine different skis in two days. So it's definitely, definitely feasible to get on a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Justin, any, anything else you want to touch on, on the snowboarding side of things? Um, yeah, I could talk about the bindings I was using again, first year at the summit, for snowboarding. So there weren't any companies offering bindings or boots, which I really want to try out some boots. So maybe next year we can look forward to that. My feet are thrashed. I need to try some new boots, but I was on some bindings, uh, the Nidecker Supermatic in size medium. And they're a pretty cool approach to bindings where they all offer two different ways of entering the binding where traditionally you'd have a regular binding that you'd strap yourself into or a step-in sort of binding that would require a specific boot to interface with the mechanism. And this kind of does both. It has a drop back that kind of flips backwards. And as that drops back, it opens the straps up so you can essentially slide your foot in from behind, step down, click into place. And they've had that in other drop back bindings before, but you'd have to reach down and close the mechanism manually with your hand. This one's kind of designed to just step into and snap into place. And it works really well for the most part. I still found myself having to do adjustments on top. I'd have to kind of loosen it up to get my foot in and then crank it down. But there, there were a lot of moments where the convenience of having both options was pretty nice. It, to release the mechanism, though, it's a little troublesome, and that might just be me needing to do more yoga, but I struggled a bit trying to bend down. You have to hold the button down to release, so you're you're not that flexible like me. I was kind of struggling to get out, so again, both options, I could just flip the straps like a normal snowboard binding to get myself out, so... I think it's nice to have both options if you want to strap in facing the hill with your toe edge to the hill it makes it a lot easier to do that which i could see being used in a lot of border patrol scenarios someone who patrols on a snowboard or just any awkward situation so i did enjoy those bindings quite a bit and i was surprised at how they rode actually like stiff and pretty high performing binding for what it was so yeah i mean at at the top of the lift like when i was with j bob I don't think there was any difference in in time in terms of transitions between me buckling my lower buckles on my ski boots and and you stepping into your bindings. Um, would you say would you go as far to say that these bindings on the downhill feel almost exactly like a regular binding with straps or exactly like or how do you what's your current take on their downhill performance? Um, I'd say they're a little heavier than some of the other bindings that offer the same level of support. Um, it's not really that noticeable. And the only other difference is, and it could be a, a boot sizing thing, but the size suggestion they state for these bindings, it leaves a little room on either side of the boot sole to where it interfaces with the side of the binding. So I think there was maybe a little more play and to compensate for that, I had to strap down tighter than I normally would another binding, which leads to foot fatigue, et cetera. But as far as the strength, I mean, 
snowboard gear breaks all the time, or at least I break it all the time. And I've been riding these all season and they haven't shown signs of breaking or getting close to it yet. So I, I think they're a lot stronger than I would have anticipated. And it is a good feel, but I think I should have sized the binding down just to interface with the boot a little bit better. But then again, that might introduce more of an issue of the entry system needing a little more adjustment. So, yeah, I, I like them though. I've been riding them all year and I'll keep riding them. So, yeah, they're exciting. One of the local CB guys, uh, Gareth, has been riding them all season and he was, last time I rode with him, he was just talking them up like crazy. Um, so, it's, it's cool to see that like, kind of in-between option between regular bindings and step-ins because I know plenty of people who will never ride a step-in binding again. <laughs> well, one of the other products that I used and it seemed like almost everyone at the Summit used were ZipFit liners. Um, I have used the their GFT touring liner and really got along well with it, but I had never used one of their Alpine liners before. And I think it was the second day of the summit, swung by the booth, got one molded and fitted in all of like 15 minutes and then skied it and was kind of sad because of how much better it felt than my current setup, which to be clear was is not like just an like I got atomic mimic professional liners, which are foam injection liners. I did. I got those fitted about 120 days ago. So they are now feeling quite packed out. Um, but through zip fit in there and immediately the fit felt very similar to when I first got my injection liners fitted, which was probably the biggest surprise because I knew zip fits were really durable and really adaptable because you can add or remove cork. But I was, I had my questions about just how precise they could be because comparing a foam injection liner it comes in as fully liquid and then it solidifies like that seems about as precise as you can get but in terms of ankle hold the zip fit felt pretty dang similar to when i first got the injection liners but i know that kara and jonathan and paul have used single pairs of zip fits for over 600 ski days <laughs> And I haven't had a liner last more than a season, which is usually a little over 100 days. And so the idea of getting that sort of fit for many seasons and uh, being able to adjust it on the go, if it, if it does pack out or whatever, or I need to take some out, take some more cork out, uh, that kind of just sold it to me because that was my main question is how precise can these fit? And so I, along with many other people at the summit who tried them, ended up purchasing a pair. They're apparently currently at the post office, but I very much look forward to using them going forward because I think it'll make it a whole lot easier to make my foot work with uh, more boots, hopefully. Um, did any of you guys try zip fits at the summit? So... I have a question about zip fits because I did not get to try them. When I went to go try them, Jeff had left a cardboard note saying he was out skiing. But so how does it work? So I've never tried different liners. I got out of the boot testing <laughs> game for a while once Kara came on board and I now have a pair of boots I'm testing. I'm like, cool, I want my toenails though. <laughs> you you can put these boots in any and they don't feel any different. Is that true? And you can adjust the cork levels on your own. Is that what you're saying, Luke? I'm just mind blown here. I'll hand that off to Kara. She's the resident ZipFit expert. All right. I mean, I've said enough about ZipFits for a lifetime, but I will continue to talk about them. Um, what's cool about ZipFits is they can be remolded to different shells. So I've had my pair in like maybe six or seven different shells at this point, And it just takes like a few minutes of heating and it kind of helps move the cork around based on what the shell is kind of forcing it to do. And then just having the option to add material continuously throughout the life of the liner is really nice. It's not like a one-time process. So if you're like 200 days in and you're like, you know, I just want a little more cushion in the tongue or the flow packs on the heels, you can add cork. You can also remove cork, but I wouldn't really like sell it on that because it's a pretty like not fun process to do. So it's kind of like adding in gradual e increments is much better than like adding too much and then trying to get it out. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool in that way. And I think like I'm really stoked for Luke and Dylan and all of us who spend so many days in our ski boots because I think it just offers so much consistency. Like you never have to be like, wow, my boot feels different than it did three days ago or whatever it may be. It's just kind of consistent across seasons, which is just really nice to have. All right. I guess my question too is, can anybody just add cork or does it, I mean, I assume it's better to go to a custom boot fitter, but is it possible like if somebody bought one online type of thing, how does that? So they do have a home fitting process. They like give instructions on it. Um, Like Sven Coomer is actually like said you can do it in the microwave and stuff, but they try to say you shouldn't do that because there actually is metal eyelets on the liner. (laughs) So it's like not super recommended, but it is like people can do it. It just takes a little bit of like adding, applying a bit of heat and then like getting the cork to go where you need it to. Um, So I think it's definitely an option for home fitting and there is instructions from ZipFit on how to do that. I still think like in a best case scenario, you'd be able to work with a boot fitter to plunge the cork in and get it hot and do all that. It'll just be a little easier. Nice. And and thank you for that. Um, like it was super cool. They were there and apparently they do not do this at other events. So we were really lucky to have them and I assume they'll be back next year. But yeah, we will have much more to say about ZipFits in general going forward because Dylan and I will both be in them and the, uh, the Fisher RC4 Pros uh, are the first boots to come stock with a custom ZipFit liner and we just got those in for testing as well. So We'll be we'll playing we'll be playing with a lot of cork in the in the, in the coming weeks and the brand lineup video yeah too, yeah I and mean, we haven't even like talked about the brand lineups very much so far but we filmed Kara do you remember the total number I think in total with all the separate videos it's going to be like twenty six or twenty seven videos yeah so that's what Kara and I were doing during the day or like half of the day each day but we have a lot of very in depth videos on all the new products coming out of this summit so. Stay tuned to our YouTube channel for that. Um, but I will just turn over, turn it back over to Kara. Uh, any other skis you want to talk about? Yeah, I think one of the highlights for Summit for me is just that it's really nice to have a lot of lengths available and to be able to test skis in different lengths. Sometimes we don't always have like the quite right or ideal length that I prefer at HQ. So it's always a great opportunity for me to experiment with different lengths and sometimes get on things that I haven't been able to get on based on what's at HQ, but also things that I've really been wanting to ski. So like a good example is the K2 Mindbender 108 Ti. I skied that in the 178 and it has a lot that translates from the 99 Ti, which is one of my favorite skis. It's just predictable, versatile. And while it's very stable, it's not too demanding. And so I really appreciated that ski. And then another ski that I've been kind of waiting for is the Unleashed 108. And I would have been, you know, pretty happy just being able to test that in a shorter length because I think last year we got sent the 186. Um, But this year they actually made a slight variation to the wood core and they released the women's version of that ski. So I was able to take out the 180 Unleashed 108 and I was pretty impressed with that ski. I actually just put a flash review out there about it, but it's a very lively ski offers great flotation, great maneuverability, and it's also still like fairly stable. So those are two skis that like I kind of knew that I was maybe going to like, but hadn't had the option to ski them in a length that felt appropriate. Gotcha. And to clarify, it's the Nordica Unleashed 108, um, which we just we just reviewed a couple weeks ago. So people can check that out as well as Kara's flash review of the new women's version uh dylan do you want to close us out with the final notable ski from your summit experience yeah so i you know before we get on a ski i usually know what to expect you know at least a little bit um but when we get we had some some pretty unfamiliar to me brands at the 2023 summit one of which was deviation works and on the first day of the summit on like the last ski I got on, I came up to their tent. And I'm just like, I want something kind of mid nineties. And I don't know, just like set me up on something, uh, you know, going in there with pretty, pretty blind. And they set me up on their 180 centimeter ellipse V 
it is 98 underfoot in the length that I tested. And I was also, I also happened to be tagging along with Drew Peterson, McKenna Peterson, and Lars Chickering Ayers. So I was like, this ski better be good because I don't want to look like an idiot in front of all these pros. Um, and long story short, it was great. It was super intuitive right off the bat. I was really impressed with the variety of turn shapes that it let me make. Uh, you know, going through more open terrain, it was fun to get on edge and, you know, make bigger sweeping turns and then getting in some tight trees like headball glades, trying to chase Lars around. It was easy to make quicker, more pivoty, you know, hacky turns in the trees as well. And it just felt pretty forgiving off the bat and pretty easy to ski. So, and I didn't really like flex it before I went out and skied. So I was like, yeah, I bet the ski's like kind of a soft flex pattern. And I had kind of an awkward turn in my first first run and I felt the tails. I'm like, wow, those tails are stiffer than I would have predicted. And once I kind of got calibrated to the ski, I found I really liked the amount of support that the flex pattern provided, but the shape and the rocker profile just really allowed a lot of versatility in terms of making as many different turn shapes as you like um, and just kind of letting it run on edge as well. And I would have guessed that this radius would have been like 18 or something. So I was really surprised when I went on their site and found that it was like 15 or 16. That was, that was like, I did not expect that at all. Uh, it was a fun carver, but it did not feel hooky as, as a, uh, you know, tighter radius skis can, can sometimes feel. So by the time people are hearing this, there should be a flash review up on the site as well. So you can read that if you want a little bit more info. I got on that ski too, and I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, we're hoping to uh, spend more time on it in the future. Uh, we have been graced with the presence of our fearless leader, Jonathan Ellsworth, who's crashing in the middle of this podcast. Hello, Jonathan. <laughs> Happy to crash gear 30. Um, it's a historic occasion. I don't think I've ever come in on a gear 30 episode halfway through. Um, I've also never recorded a podcast upstairs in my house. I'm not in my sad little <laughs> tiny uh, podcast studio I have at home because, and to explain both reasons why I'm late and um, why I'm upstairs is um, Jeff McFetridge is here in Crested Butte, arrived. He actually asked if he could sort of sit in uh, up here and listen to this. And I was like, well, if you sit in, you got to come on the podcast. And <laughs> so Jeff can probably hear us right now, but he's downstairs. Uh, Kara, you'd be delighted to know that the, the, that guest bedroom looks incredible. I'm going to send you a video. It, it is amazing. And apparently it took Jeff McFetridge to show up uh, because for three years or whatever, four years, it has not exactly looked incredible. So, um, just had a phenomenal conversation with Jeff. More to come. And uh, yeah, super happy. Um, the thing that we need to talk about, probably the like one of the absolute best things about the summit is that the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, what up, J-Bob, did definitely sleep on my deck every night of the summit. And I have video evidence of this. Uh, I don't even know if I showed you the, the, the little video I took, but it was kind of me tucking J-Bob in uh, one night as, as I think it snowed like six inches <laughs> on him during the night. And <laughs> he seemed super happy with the arrangement. I was like, we have room inside. He's like, no, I'm good. This is great. And as I said, J-Bob, you're always welcome. That porch is always open, <laughs> always open for you. For, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that was that was fun. It was a lovely porch. It was great. I'm going to maybe maybe I'll just talk real quick about two skis and then um, and I'm going to bounce because Jeff is waiting for me. So I mentioned this on our happy hour, blister happy hour conversation the other day. Oh, hey, Lyndon. Hi. Lyndon's there. <laughs> we got the whole squad. What's up, Lyndon? <laughs> this would be Kristen's son, Lyndon, in case anybody's Hi. wondering. Hi. I mentioned this first ski uh, on our Blister Happy Hour, which we recorded yesterday. Um, but uh, probably my most surprising ski that I got on at the summit was the Blizzard Rustler 9. And 
the reason for my surprise is because honestly, I just was not personally a big fan of the older Rustler 9. Not saying that it was a bad ski. It was just kind of the opposite for what I like in a ski. And um, But I ended up hopping on it and honestly was super impressed. And this is one of those skis where we say this, I'd say quite rarely, but this was one of those skis where I was like, oh yeah, like a million people should be skiing this thing. And um, I, I actually really believe that. Like, we're going to put that for me, it's going to go in that category of like, if you're sort of not that sure, you're not that dialed in on the weird specific things that you particularly like in a ski, I think I'm going to find myself recommending that Rustler 9 a lot. Um, it is a beautiful performer on groomers. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually took it out. Um, I was skiing. It was, it was the last day of the summit. It was Thursday. My legs were pretty beat up and tired. And I was talking with Nina Waters and she was like, yeah, I'm pretty tired too. I'm like, let's just have this beautiful, gorgeous bluebird groomer session. Like we'll take it easy. And so that's what we were doing. And I'm like, wait, this ski rips. Um, and then and Drew freaking Peterson is like, rolls up on us. And is like, you guys, you guys, Phoenix Spellbound is open. We got to go up there right now. So we went from having this chill, beautiful groomer session to going into like, you know, the zone that has Crested Butte's gnarliest, steepest terrain. And I was like, okay, this is not the ski that I would normally be taking into Phoenix Spellbound, but here we are. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to tell a story about how I was just shredding Phoenix Spellbound, you know, as if I was now on a some big mountain charger, but it was still predict it was still predictable. Um, and I, I just thought this is a good all around performer, you know, for somebody looking for a ski in the mid 90 millimeters width. Yeah. And we've got one for long term testing, which I think mostly just needs some detuning probably it came quite sharp um but yeah i agree amazing carver it has plenty of rocker to feel pretty maneuverable and i think we just need to dial in the tune going forward for our for our pair in particular yeah i mean my my pair felt money the, the pair that i was on that i just grabbed you know at the tent from mm -hmm. the summit felt money and uh it was cool really cool to see and now it really makes me want to get on the rustler 10 because mm -hmm. I used to just be like, these skis aren't for me. I'll kind of only ski the 11 and let other people talk about the 9 and 10. And I, I'm just curious to see what's going on. Um, but yeah, um, so that was my most surprising. The other ski um, that I'll talk about for now is um, I did spend time on the Stokely Stormrider 102 uh, that Dylan Wood got on earlier this year wrote i believe a flash review of it and um it was just kind of funny to me in some ways so i want to be crystal clear here i am not talking at all about the ski itself but the reason why it's funny is again as we've kind of maybe made fun of stokely owners from time to time where i think the quote somebody reminded me of i guess i had this quote a while ago somebody reminded me that i had said this on probably a gear 30 podcast that the note that like stokely owners would never let uh their daughters date somebody who skied on like moments you know but this just kind of you hear stokely owners talk about like oh my god this is the only ski being made what are you even doing if you're not skiing on a stokely type of thing and um so again we're not talking about the company itself. We are absolutely targeting certain Stokely owners as being sort of pretentious. And probably the most vocal Stokely owners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah, there is a, there's a contingency of very loud, strongly opinionated <laughs> Stokely owners out there. Anyway, the, the funny part to me is, first of all, I really, really got along with that Stormrider 102. And was like, honestly, I could ski this ski like this could be my kind of everyday conditions crested butte ski. 
No question. The funny part to me is it mostly was just this very forgiving ski that like, so two big things, really, really maneuverable. And in what can become our kind of weird Crested Butte moguls, I was like, I think I like this ski as much as virtually any kind of 100 millimeter wide ski I've been on. And then, and this is no criticism coming from me. I'm like, oh my God, this tail is wild forgiving. Hmm. Like not, and I just was sort of assuming like, again, that shout out to all the pretentious Stokely owners. I was like, this is going to be some like, basically just slightly toned down race ski type of thing. And I was just like, this is just a wildly forgiving ski that is very maneuverable. Flex pattern feels really nice. You make a mistake in weird Crested Butte moguls, it's no problem. We got you. But it just kind of made it funny. I'm like, what's everybody freaking out about how this is the... So it's weird. I'm praising, again, in some, I'm praising the ski. And I'm like, shout out, Stokely. This thing is great and more people, you know, should be on it for all mountain use. It is not just some wide carver or something. But I'm also like, Stokely owners, I don't know. Like, y'all just like super forgiving maneuverable skis. It's hard to square that with like the level of um, enthusiasm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm 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 hoping that we are able to do some long term tests of several Stokely skis in the future. Um, Because, yeah, like when Dylan first got on it, it his thoughts on it piqued my interest. And I always imagined it as like a Kessley MX-99, which is like a world almost a World Cup construction ski just wider, uh, which is terrifying to me, <laughs> but it sounds like it, it's basically the opposite of that. Yeah. And I know that in Dylan's flash review, he was making some comparisons to the vocal mantra 102, right, Dylan? Very different skis. Very different ski. He just happened to be skiing him. I brought the mantra because I'm like, I feel like this is maybe the best ski that we have in HQ to compare to the Storm Rider, just kind of based on what I heard about the Storm Rider. And yeah, I was like, these are two completely different skis. The Stokely is loads more forgiving and maneuverable and quicker. And the Mantra is a whole lot more precise and stiff and demanding. Um, yeah, like you look at that tail on the Storm Rider with like zero taper and you're like, this thing's going to kill me. And then you ski it and it's like supportive enough to, you know, have your back if you get a little backseat, but not super punishing. So yeah, it's like, Stokely just feels like such a niche brand, but I feel like so many people could be happy on that ski. Agreed. And by the way, I love the Mantra 102, to be clear, mm-hmm. um, but just different feels. And and really, the closest comparison I've got right now is I kept thinking about the previous generation Fisher Ranger 102 in terms of the front half of that ski the maneuverability of the front half of that ski, but then the Stokely Stormrider 102 was a more uh, mellowed out tail, not as stiff of a tail as the Ranger 102, um, a ski that I loved and called that previous Ranger 102. was like, that's that could be my everyday CD ski um, for kind of mixed conditions. And I, I love that. But the, the Stormrider is just even more forgiving if you happen to get on that tail. So um, anyway... That was interesting. I'm, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to spending more time on that Stormrider 102. And then I think we will be getting on more models in that Stormrider line and seeing how similar or different these things are. But um, that's what I got. Those are a couple of my takeaways. Cool. I'm going to go again. Um, I'm being a bad host right now. But uh, yeah, Jeff and I will be skiing the next couple of days here. Big question is if I'm going to get back on teleskis or if Jeff is going to get on alpine skis. So we'll go figure that out tonight and um, see see what we end up on. But it's it's great to have him uh, here in, in CB. And um, yeah, I'll, I'm sure tomorrow I'll see some of you on the mountain and uh, we'll go ski with Jeff. Cool. We'll see you there. Luke, you mentioned interesting skis or perhaps graphics or just different things we had at the summit. And um, 
Well, I I want to start just by piggybacking off what Jonathan said, but we actually had some teleskis. I don't know if you guys all saw that, but Majesty brought a couple pairs with NTN bindings. Uh, there's a good chance we'll have even more next year. We almost had more this year, but just didn't work out for the vendor or that brand to attend. Another thing I want to point out is we had a lot more boots to test this year, and I think that's going to keep continue to grow. And one thing that helped make that possible is one of our sponsors, Compede. And I know, I don't, well, actually, I don't think any of you guys have used them prior to this week. Um, I I was a big advocate of them from back in high school many years ago. Uh, and I hadn't actually put one on until the summit again. And I was like, oh man, I've missed these. And now I have like a poc- like a stash in my ski bag. I have a stash in the truck and my first aid kits, like... I'm not going anywhere without them again. But Dylan, you have something to add on that? Yeah, I had never used them before either. And when we when we unloaded for the summit, when all the brands got here, um, some of us blister folk were helping kind of run skis and tents and things back and forth. And I think Kirsten recorded on Strava that she walked what like five miles between the parking garage and like the the place where all the vendors were showing up. So lots of walking. And for some reason that day I chose to wear some like really stiff leather boots that I haven't really broken in. And so I was developing a pretty awful hot spot on the back of my heels when I was just like, wait a minute, this is like the best scenario ever. We have like so many little compete bandages I can just toss on. So I just tossed two of those on back of my heels and rolled my sock back up over and put the boots on and yeah, walked the rest of the day just fine. And didn't even notice it the next day. So it was like the perfect little scenario that happened there. It was so funny. Yeah, I I hadn't, I like knock on wood, I haven't had the need to use them yet. But I talked to John Douthit from Icelandic. He was also breaking in a new pair of boots, but ski boots. Uh, he apparently has a pretty strange foot. And he said he got a blister the very first day through one of the Compede uh, bandages over it and kept it on through the entire summit. And he said he forgot he had it on until he, he, I guess he finally showered <laughs> at the end. Oh god! Um, but he said it worked great. It had healed by the time he took it off and it, he didn't notice it while it was on. So I think there was a, a lot of very high praise just just in the matter of four days. Yeah, Luke, your, your feet get kind of messed up in the spring, don't they? Touring and sweating and stuff. Yeah, usually once I start going uphill a lot more, I'm sure I will find plenty of need for them later on. Nice. And I feel like I used to leave them on for like the full week or something like that. Go through all the field hockey games and just by the end of the week, I was like, okay, it's pretty healed. And then the bandage would eventually come off, but it's really just like another layer of skin. But some other things that were pretty uh, interesting or fun to have at the summit, other than the teleskis that Majesty brought, we had the Frankenblades, that moment block brought which i know luke got on i don't know how many other people got on that but luke seems like you were a rock star (laughs) on those from all the photos i didn't feel like it the day afterwards (laughs) uh but we were we were just getting ready to go out and shoot um and taylor our photographer had told me we were just gonna do mellow groomers and so i grabbed like a pretty good groomer ski and then he was like, change of plans. We're we're going to go shoot with Hoji on the T-bars. And then uh, Otto from Snowbird just casually mentioned to me. He's like, yeah, I really need to get on those blades. They got demo bindings on them. I was like, well, I could get on a, like a real ski and, and try hard. Or I could u- get on a pair of blades and use those, that as an excuse for not being good at skiing. And so I did that and landed one air into POW, which I was very proud of, and then followed Hoji off a small cliff at the bottom and landed pretty well, but it was much more skied out. And I backslapped so hard that I threw myself forward into a tomahawk um, and it was soft snow, so I was totally fine, but I had pretty bad whiplash <laughs> for a few days after that. But they were fun. They reminded me of our blade video last year. Like I the very first turns, I was like, I can't ski. Uh, they were just like washing out, every, like moving around like crazy and then got back into the swing of things and had a great time on them. And we have we have a pair that I will definitely be mounting up for Gaper Day this year. 
Um, looking forward to getting back on them. Wendy Fisher also got on the blades and yeah. she happened to be at the top of the queen right as the rope drop for banana. So she skied like fresh pow on banana on the oh moment God. blades. No way. And had a blast. And she's now officially part of the moment ski blade team. They send their they said they're gonna send her a pair. Perfect. Did, did anybody get a photo or video of this? She probably didn't stop long enough for anybody so. to get a camera. Yeah. Out, but I think it was amazing. just pa- passion in the moment. That's awesome. So then the other two uh, products that I noticed, um, Folsom brought their turn tech, the 201 69 way skis. I don't know how popular they were this year. The first summit we had, they were probably the MVP of the summit. Everybody wanted on those and everybody had great reviews on them. Um, And then the other one, and I don't know if any of you guys got on it, but at least the first day, there were a lot of people uh, checking out the faction mono ski. Did did anybody get on that from our team? I no, have just... yet to get on it, but definitely definitely trying to at some point. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Snow snow was too good this year. Yeah, that's why I think it was popular at first day. Yeah, the first blister summit, that the turn tech was the very first ski I got on because <laughs> it was it was like pretty firm and and you know, I was kind of just like I just want like a fun ski to get out on. But every time I swung by the faction tent the mono was either gone or it was like really snowy, like someone had just skied it. So that was pretty funny. Yeah. So in addition to a ton of really solid, versatile skis at the summit, there are also a lot of really weird ones that can be super fun to try. And there's, I don't think there's anywhere else you have the opportunity to try. I mean, hundreds of mainstream skis from a variety of brands, plus some some oddballs that you otherwise probably would never be able to get your feet on. So yeah, you could ski a straight ski, a ski blade and a mono ski in the same day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. <laughs> New goal or yeah. add a tele ski in there too. Yeah, yeah there you go. All right. Well, there are, I mean, Lots of other products that we could talk about and will talk about on the site. We'll have a bunch of flash reviews coming. We'll leave it at that since we're already over an hour. Uh, But we'll close it out with our weekly what we're celebrating segment. I'll kick it off with uh, after the summit, we were all pretty (laughs) tired to say the least. Um, And it happened to be perfect timing where the junior free ride comp Happened to be that weekend after the summit at Mount Crested Butte. And so I had a blast just bringing a lawn chair to that and enjoying watching kids that are much younger than me ski uh, Spellbound Bowl way better than I ever will. And then in the coming days, we've got the adult two and four star comps um, moments, Tyler Curl and Colton Schaff, I think. (laughs) probably just messed up his last name uh they'll be coming yeah yeah, and a whole bunch of other people and that is always super entertaining so i'm looking forward to seeing what really good skiers can do at at our home ski area and maybe provide some inspiration and more just realization that i'll never be that good of a skier so negative luke yeah (laughs) i think you're a really good skier luke yeah, yeah, you sounded really confident when you said that. <laughs> you are. Yeah, just not willing to to backflip off of <laughs> a huge rock into a mogul field. But it's fun watching other people do it. Yeah, that's like the 99.9 percentile of skiers, though. I think we don't realize that enough. It's like, you know, we ski with really good skiers all the time, and sometimes it makes you feel bad. But yeah, the average skier is kind of kind of down there compared to you luke so don't don't feel too bad (laughs) great now i'm celebrating that (laughs) yeah how about you dylan yeah so this is kind of unrelated to skiing but i've been i put in for a bunch of river permits this year for multi-day river trips and i got denied on basically all the ones that i put in for but i did get invited on a august middle fork of the salmon river trip and a 2024 grand canyon trip so super excited for both of those um yeah 
going to have to take another, you know, four weeks off of work and just not be available whatsoever. So sorry guys, but I, I can't say no to, to those. So excited for that. Cool. Kara. Sounds awesome. Um, well, I am going to celebrate the continuation of winter cause I'm not ready to give it up yet. It's continuing to snow. I've made some great turns with Dylan and Luke today. It's been really soft and great conditions and, it's great because we still have like so much to test this season. And so let's just keep it going and let the snow continue to fall. And um, yeah, I think this is one of the seasons I've had like the most soft turns. So that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth celebrating. Uh, J-Bob, how about you? Well, Dylan, you're not the only one that lost out on River Lottery. I also did not pull any permits, but celebrating getting some friends out to the backcountry that have never been really out there before. So I did that today. We got lots of good snow in New Mexico and it was pretty fun. People got the bug and want to run around in the forest, hugging trees and playing in the snow. All right. Well, we will leave it at that for this Gear 30 episode. Thank you to all of you for joining. Thanks to Jonathan for crashing briefly. And thanks to everyone else for listening. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you again very soon uh, on our blister podcast in the coming days and on gear 30 next week. All right. Well, we'll close out this episode of gear 30 with another edition of our crashes and close calls segment, this time coming from yours truly. Unlike Kara, I'm someone who crashes on a pretty regular basis, but my crashes are typically fairly inconsequential. However, this past Sunday when I was taking it easy, trying to allow my brain and body to recover post-summit, I had one of the scarier close calls I've had. Not 20 yards from the top of Mount Crested Butte Silver Queen lift, I was making my way down a nearly flat cat track that I've skied, I mean, at least a thousand times, and I decided to try and hit a tiny side hit on the side that I've also hit probably a thousand times, but before I knew it, one of my skis was no longer attached to my boot, and I was diving headfirst straight towards the tree that's right after the front of the side hit. Thankfully, my head missed the tree by what was probably a few inches, and I skied away with just a slightly sore hip and knee, but that didn't seem to comfort the friends that I was skiing with, and the potential severity of the incident didn't really set in until one of my friends told me He was already reaching for his phone to call a ski patrol before I'd even hit the ground. So more than anything, I'm just very thankful that this wasn't worse than it could have been. But it also reminded me why I'm a Blister Plus spot member, since if things had gone worse, I could have sought medical attention without worrying about how much it costs, since Blister Plus spot members are covered for up to $25,000 per incident with $0 deductible. My main takeaway is that you never really know when accidents will happen, and I will wholeheartedly recommend Blister Plus Spot to anyone who does basically anything outdoors. For the coverage you get, it offers excellent peace of mind. And with that, we'll close out this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Kara, Dylan, Kristen, and Jonathan for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for not only the conversation, but also for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. As Jonathan always says, from all of us in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourselves and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again very soon.